0: This morning I would like to make some reference to the birth of our Savior. I will speak a little more about it on on Wednesday evening. But I would like to speak in reference to some of the things I've been saying about before Christ was not only born a king, he was born a bridegroom with a bride chosen before his birth. A bride chosen before the foundations of the world. For we were chosen in Christ before the foundations of the world. And so, He was born a king, as we read this morning in Isaiah 9, 6, and 7. Of his kingdom there should be no end, and of the throne of David he would possess it. And this one was born a king with a promise of a universal kingdom taking in all the universe with a special reference to the earth, the place upon which God chose to have his Son come forth, the place where he created man in his own image. And so earth has a special place, and just as Bethlehem of old was small in all of Israel, yet at the same time, though it was small, that's where Christ was born. And so the earth amongst the planets in this great universe is small. And yet God chose it here. Christ should be born. And this should be the place where he would get a family for himself. So this great promise that he had uh, that he would be king is a tremendous promise. I can't help but think of how other men, I think of... uh, Alexander, and I think of him as a great conqueror, and I think of how at 29 the known world was his, and yet he died a drunken, lecherous young man. He could not keep the kingdom. But this is a promise that unto us a child is born, a son is given, and he's to occupy the throne of David. It's to be an eternal kingdom. No one can take it away from him. This to me is so wonderful. Whether we were to look at Alexander, whether we were to look at a Hitler with his conquests, whether we were to look at a Napoleon Bonaparte, whether we were to look at any of these men with their great conquests, and all that they did are as nothing. It's been well said that Napoleon said in seeing a Jew, someone said to him, do you believe in God? And he looked at him and he pointed over at a Jew. And he said, that tells me that God exists, for God has preserved this nation down through history. And then he said this, with all of the battles that I have won, Jesus Christ, without one battle, has conquered the hearts of men. And how true this is. He conquered the hearts of men. And so he was born a king. The universe is his promise. It is the will of the Father that he should have an hold all things. They belong to him. Tells us in the word of God that all the kingdoms of earth he will deliver up to God. That is coming. That is that which we yet look for. The coming of our blessed Savior. So he was born a king. Born with a kingdom that God promised him would never end long after heaven and earth have passed away, his word will never pass away. And so he has that promise of a kingdom which shall last forever. Then you think, I couldn't help but think of the kings of earth and how different it is than this great king that God has ordained. It's so wonderful for us to know that one day righteous will dwell upon the face of the earth. And it never will come through man. Wouldn't you think that with simple intelligence we would see this? That after all of the history of man, we see man worse off at the end. If he's evolving, he's evolving downward. His problems today are worse than they were 500 years ago. His problem now is world destruction. His problem now is that he throws everybody into the same cauldron and burns them up. He used to put the women and the children on the side and fight his little battles man to man. No more. Everybody's the same now. Wouldn't you think that man would come to some understanding of this, that for there to be a righteous kingdom, there must be a righteous king? that all men are limited in their ruling. His kingdom is going to have no end. It is an existence now. It is an existence through the very sons of God, those born of the Spirit of God. You and I are part of the eternal kingdom if you've been redeemed. I don't know if you walk in the joy of this, I'm a citizen of the United States and I thank God for it. But I can't forget that the word of God says my citizenship is in heaven. And when the United States has long since died, that kingdom of which I am part shall be going on and on. And so God at this present moment has his kingdom and his kingdom is only his family. That's all. It's those who have received Christ as their Savior, have been born into the family of God, and God being God has the privilege of only taking in those who are in his family. That is his privilege, and we cannot change it. He has appointed a way. Jesus says, no man comes to the Father but by me. There are no other religious forms of life that can bring us to the Father because there can be no coming to the Father unless we've been cleansed from sin. And so this great King, this great Savior that was born unto us is born this day in the city of David, a Savior which is Christ the Lord. And then in Isaiah 9, His kingdom shall never end and the throne of David shall be His. Of his government there shall be no end. Oh, how blessed and how wonderful. And I think of the sons of men. How often we have seen, we could look through history, couldn't we? And we could see how many of those who were firstborn sons slated to be kings in the nations of the earth. You read your histories? Born, the firstborn son was to be the king and to occupy the throne of the father. And yet, they never made it. They were slain. They were murdered. They were put in the towers of London to starve to death. Men born kings. But they never made it. And yet this one born into the world came to die and as a result of his death to become the only high potentate and the king of kings over all the earth. How blessed and how wonderful. We can look at man and see that man continually Will appoint men to high position and power and make them kings and dictators and rulers, and yet by reason of death they cannot continue. And some sons died when they were babes, murdered sometimes by their own relatives so that they would not occupy the throne. No one can touch Jesus Christ. Aren't you glad? Aren't you glad? He's not only the one who established his New Testament. It is the New Testament of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And a testament is not in force, Hebrews tells us, except the testator dies. And so Christ died that his will might go into effect. But gloriously, he who is to be the King of kings and the Lord of lords, the Savior, of mankind arose from the grave that he might be the executor of his own estate you know I, how often I've said that how would you like it huh if you could make your will and then after you die come back and pull a, carry it out yourself wouldn't you be shocked when you saw all the family arguing No arguments with Jesus. He arose from the grave. Why? Because he must be the executor of his will. He could give it to no one else. It says Jesus trusted not man because he knew man. And so he arose from the grave that our salvation would be absolute. We would know it. For if he had not risen from the grave, our faith is vain and we're yet in our sins. But he's risen, and we know that his cross has redeemed our souls. And every single promise he has made, he will carry out, for he's alive from the dead. He said, Behold, I am he that was dead, and I'm alive forevermore. Yes, a Savior was born, a King was born when Jesus came. Then, beloved, I cannot help but think so often that many are born kings and then inaugurated kings and lose their kingdom in a couple of years. Why many of the kings of Europe and the kingdoms that have been born and have gotten all the way up to their being installed as king, and as soon as they're installed as king, they're done away with. But we have a king who can never be touched. Look at all of the kings of earth who were beheaded and guillotined because they had a faction that was against them. But let me tell you, all the factions of earth can be against Christ and not change him one iota. Men can't change the plan of God. You can't touch him. As high as the heavens are above the earth, And with all of our astronauts exploring the universe, we'll never get to the heaven of heavens, where Christ dwells at the right hand of God the Father, and will carry out every single tickle of those promises which he has given unto us. Some men only kept their thrones for a little while. But it tells us in Isaiah 9, 6, and 7, His throne is eternal. He is the everlasting Father. He's the Prince of Peace. He's the mighty God. The Son that was given is all these things. And so this one that was born a king, oh, how different from all the kings of earth. Then, beloved, he was born a bridegroom. This to me is tremendous. Born a bridegroom. Now, I have a lot to say about marriage. I will be saying it over the coming weeks. I don't want to get too deep into that this morning. But I just want to say that he was born a bridegroom. His father chose his bride. You know, it's only recently where men choose their brides. It's only in the last few hundred years. Brides were always chosen by the fathers. In some of the countries of earth, they're still chosen by the fathers. There are areas of the world now where brides are chosen, where you have nothing to say about it. Chosen by the fathers, by the family. And here, in the very beginnings, from the foundations of the world, Christ's bride was chosen. You're in it today. You're part of the bride of Jesus Christ. For Paul makes sure that we understand that the church is the bride of Christ. For the church is his body. We are members of his flesh and of his bones. And he's going to clothe us upon with a glorious garment, as Ephesians 5 tells us. It will be fashioned by the Lord himself. Gloriously, he's going to fashion it out of the righteous acts of the saints. This is an amazing thing. He's going to burn away all of the wood, the hay, and the stubble of our lives and then clothe us upon with those things which we have done. That's what the Word of God tells us. It is the righteousness of the saints. The interpretation in the Greek means he will clothe us with our life down here as Christians. I love what Steve Rowland says so often. What you weave here, you will wear there. What you weave here, you will wear there. I don't know what your garment is going to be like, if I can say that. You know... You're the one who knows what kind of a garment you're going to have. It's one thing to receive the righteousness of God in Jesus Christ which makes us fit for heaven. This is the cleansing away of sin. But it is another thing of the judgment seat of Christ that we shall answer for the deeds done in the body, whether they be good or bad, and we will be clothed upon with the life we've lived down here. That's what the Scripture says. And so... That clothing shall be the righteous acts of the saints. You know, I couldn't help but think Alice isn't here this morning. But I can remember this when we got married. You know, Alice and I got married in the depths of depression. Young folks, I don't, I don't wish you a depression. I don't know what you. Have you had any conception of what a depression is? I don't, don't think you can conceive of it. Can I say that? I walked on the streets down in Broadway, and I, when we got married, I made $19 a week. That may seem like a fortune. It was no fortune then, I can assure you. I was only working three and a half days a week. That's all they could give me. Men and women were selling apples on street corners to try to get enough to live on bread lines down in Broadway and the Bowery were a mile long of people trying to get a bowl of soup and a piece of bread. I wouldn't wish that you'll ever have to go through a depression. I see them talking of depression now. Depression and famine, that's what they're talking about. I read in the paper the day before yesterday, the greatest famine the world has ever come in 1975 if we hold at our present progress to nothingness. The world will never have experienced a famine like is coming in 1975. Tremendous population explosion. But I can well remember, you know, in those days, it was the bottom of the Depression. Gives you an idea of how old she is. As I said, she was rather young when I got married. But anyway, I can remember, you know, weddings today are big gala affairs, you know. Lots of money sometimes is spent on it. In the Christian realm, I guess not as much as in others. But we weren't Christians. We didn't know Christ as our personal Savior. And I can remember when we got married, and I can remember that I wondered what would be a good gift to give to her. A father had lost all his money. They were really in depression. He was head of Kelsey Motors. He was in debt for $100,000. So there couldn't be. They wanted to give us a wedding, and we knew there was no money, so we didn't want a wedding of any fashion. But I can remember that I had but one thought. I want to clothe my wife and make her beautiful. And so two days before the wedding, she didn't have any winter coat or anything. Sounds, to some of you young people, you know, it may sound, is it possible? Yes, it's possible. How many of you have lived through the Depression? Just put your hands up. Yeah, it's a good group of you. I can tell you one thing, you weren't buying steaks and chops or anything like that in those days. We lived on the meagerest affair. But I can remember saying to her two days before the wedding, honey, I don't have a lot of money, but you know what I'd like to do? I'd like to clothe your pond with a beautiful coat. And I saw one in, I'm going to date myself, Lozier's in Brooklyn. And so I can remember taking her down. I still have pictures of her. Taking what I could and clothing her upon with a lovely coat with a fur collar. And this was the full extent of the wedding gift. But I wanted her clothed because of my love for her. And so it is with our precious Savior. He wants to clothe us not only with his own righteousness, which he gives us as a gift, for he was made sin for us who knew no sin that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. But he wants us to be clothed upon with those righteous things we have done in his name and his name only. And fashion us A garment, white and clean and pure of linen, which is the righteous acts of the saints. And her wife hath made herself ready. That's what it says over in Revelation 19.7. And her wife, notice, Revelation 19.7, Let us be glad and rejoice and give honor to him for the marriage of the lamb has come born to be a bridegroom, and his wife has made herself ready. She's been at the judgment seat. All the wood, the hay, and the stubble have been burned away, and all that's left now is the gold and the silver and the precious stones. And to her was granted that she should be arrayed in fine linen, clean and white, for the fine linen, now notice what it says, is the righteousness of saints. The meaning in the Greek is, is the righteous acts of the saints. What kind of a robe are you going to have? Oh, it'll be clean and white because you have been cleansed from your sin. But what beauty will it have to God because of your life? Mother, may I ask you that? Father, may I ask you that? Son or daughter, may I ask you that? How will your life really shine for God? How will it stand up? Not in the judgment of others, not by what others think about you. I'm not interested in that. Others may think you are the finest, most noble man or the most wonderful, generous woman, Oh the finest son or daughter, but you only know yourself what you really are. And that's what I'm asking you. How will you be clothed? Oh, he's taken away your sin. But I would remind you that he says, for by grace ye ye saved through faith and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, unto good acts, that God hath before ordained, that we should walk in them. May I say this, the preacher of the gospel of Jesus Christ has to be most careful. I have to be most careful that when I preach salvation by grace without anything true and tremendous, the blood has cleansed me from all sin, that at the same time I must not let the people ever think that their lives do not count for God. This happens often. Some people take hold of the grace of God and then have a libertine spirit. This is not of God and shows no spiritual understanding. God has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light that your life should shine for God, and only you know whether it's shining or not. And you know this morning what kind of a robe you will be clothed in when you see Jesus, because you know your life at its foundations, where nobody sees but God, for God looks not on the outward things, but upon the human heart. And so not one of us can gloss over, Pastor Guillen can't gloss over himself. I have to have introspection just like every other human being. I have to know what kind of a heart I have. I have to know its vileness and its wickedness when I see how it cost Christ his life. He had to die for me. Why, if there had been one man in all the earth that could have been holy and righteous, Jesus need never have died. That's why he says you're all sinners. You're all the same. Don't ever get exalted in your opinion of yourself. And so both Pastor Gion and his people have to respond to God and say, now search me, Lord. Search my heart and see if there be any evil thing in me. Help cleanse me. Give me the joy of salvation. I want to tell you, Christmas joy is only possible in the joy of your salvation. People in the world don't have Christmas joy. They just have Christmas. It's a time for giving. Great commercialism grows rampant. And they toss Christmas around as though it was nothing. I have read articles in the newspapers by banks, by corporations. I have yet to see the name Jesus Christ Savior. We wish you the best at this season of the year. We hope that the Christmas spirit will be wonderful within you. But not one mention is made of the one who gave the Christmas spirit. And that spirit is the Holy Spirit who comes to dwell in your breast so you can have real, internal, wonderful joy. And then you can say, I have a joyous Christmas. Why do you have a joyous Christmas? Because the Christ that was born in Bethlehem is the Savior that died at Calvary and made me a free man. For he said to me, Whosoever the Son shall make free, he's free indeed. Are you a free man? Are you a free woman? Is your heart rejoicing in Jesus Christ? God help us. Men have exalted their financial power. Men have exalted their fame. Men have exalted their prestige. Men have exalted their educations. Men have exalted their minds as though they are above God. And God, in all the simplicity that He could possibly do, sends a son to be born in Bethlehem in a manger who's going to die for men's sins. And He gives the joy of Christmas in the joy of salvation. In Jesus Christ. It's the only joy. And to anyone who will come and receive him, he says, you haven't tasted of joy yet. When you come to me as Savior, I'll fill your heart so filled with joy that you'll say, all my life has been nothing but darkness and a shambles before, and now the joy of the Lord is my portion. Jesus says, I would give you my joy, that your joy might be full. Ah, listen, I can tell your Christianity by the amount of joy you have. Man, my heart bubbles. Alice has been away with, you know, I she went over here yesterday morning. But I want to tell you, I'm still bubbling. Boy, oh, I miss her. The house was like a morgue. but I miss her because I love her. And I want to tell you that right now Jesus Christ misses us and is looking to the day who for the joy that was set before Him endured the cross and despised the shame that He might bring many sons unto glory. And though Alice has been away with me, my heart's been bubbling in the Word of God because of what Christ means to me. And I pray to you this Christmas season let us pray now father we do thank thee for thy precious word blessed to our hearts Lord we're so thankful for our Savior unto us is born this day in the city of David a Savior which is Christ the Lord we're thankful that he's the eternal King and of his government there'll be no end. We thank thee that he's the eternal bridegroom and that in the last book of the scriptures he tells us, my bride hath made herself ready and unto her was granted that she should be clothed in linen pure and white. Father. Bless this people this morning. Oh, God, give spiritual understanding. For the carnal mind cannot see the things of God, for they are spiritually discerned. But, oh, Father, may the Spirit within every heart cry out, I want Christ at this Christmas as my Savior. Just one minute as our eyes are closed, I'm just going to ask, every eye closed, no one looking around, What a time for someone to say, oh, at this Christmas season, I I want Christ. I want it real in my heart. Men don't know anything about heaven. Men know nothing about eternity. I need Jesus, the eternal one, the savior of mankind. Just put your hand up. Say, pastor, pray for me. No one looking around. This is between you and God. Anyone? Just put your hand up. Say, pastor, pray for me. Pray for me. Yes, I see your hand. God bless you, mother, grandmother. Anyone else? Just put your hand up high. Say, Pastor, pray for me. Pray for me. Yes. God bless you. Anyone else? Come. Come now. Let us reason together, saith the Lord. Though your sins were scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Though they be like crimson, and they'll be pure as wool. Oh, come, Father, Mother. Grandmother, grandfather, son or daughter, anyone else to join these? Just put your hand high. No one looking around, just between you and God. I'm not asking you to come forward, nothing like that. This is just a decision you're making. Quickly, hand high. Say, Pastor, pray for me. Yes, I see your hand, Lord. Bless you, Father. Anyone else? Put your hand up high. Say, Pastor, at this Christmas season, here's my hand. I want Christ, my Messiah and my Savior. Yes, I saw your hand. Lord bless you. Anyone else? Quickly, hand high to join these many. Yes, I saw your hand. Lord bless you. Put that hand up high. Join these. Oh, what a glorious Christmas it'll be for you. To be one with Christ, one with your loved ones, one in the Lord. Oh, how blessed. Anyone? Quickly, I don't want to close until I make sure everyone has had that opportunity. Put it up high. Pastor, pray for me. With these others, I want to say yes to Christ. Anyone? Quickly. Quickly. Yes, I saw that hand. Lord bless you. Yes, God bless you, Barbara. Just put it high. No one's looking around. It's just you and God. You and Jesus, trusting Christ as Savior. There's about six now. Anyone else? Just one moment and I close. If the Holy Spirit has spoken to you, just put it high. This is the Messiah the Savior of the world, making of Jew and Gentile one man in Christ Jesus. Anyone? Now, gracious Father, we thank Thee for this blessed privilege we've had this morning in preaching Thy Word, and we thank Thee for all these that have raised their hands for Christ. We pray Thy blessing upon each one. We ask Thee that the Holy Spirit who now has come to dwell in their breast, we know, Lord, it will be no great sensation except that the days to come can be filled with joy, the joy of the Lord, as they grow in grace and the knowledge of Christ. Father, we didn't expect a great physical sensation, but within our spirits we expected a warmth that would tell us that we are now children of God, and joint heirs with Christ of his heavenly kingdom. May thy blessing rest upon each one in Christ's name. Amen.